and all of a sudden it starts coming in and we all start chattering and we're listening to it through basically Howard Stern talking about it and I'm getting all pissed off I'm, I'm telling the boss I'm like hey I gotta go to the house man it's time to lock and load this is we're under attack Welcome to Pop Bless America. I'm Jim. And I'm Dan. And today we're talking about 9-11. Yes, we are. 9-11. We brought a guest on today who was at Ground Zero when it was time for the cleanup. She was already working, I believe, in Suffolk County, New York, right. yep. uh, for the police department there on 9-11. Yep. Her name is Stacy Goodman, and Stacy worked, as they refer to it, as the pile. She has quite a career um, as being one of the founding members of the Department of Homeland Security after all of this happened. So for all of you conspiracy theorists out there that think this didn't happen or that this was an inside job, we got somebody. We got somebody here who's going to have a little problem with what you're saying. Stacy, yep. are you there? Yes, I am. Thank right. you for having me. Oh, thanks for reaching out to welcome us. Welcome to the show. Yeah, welcome to the show. So I just thanks. gave uh, just a quick, uh, just a quick little uh, introduction for you there. Uh, clearly, your career was uh, a lot more than just being a Suffolk County police officer. So, floor's yours. Where do you want to start? Well, take when? us take us back to when you were hired in '95. 95. She's just, yep, a, she's, I'm, she's I'm just a rookie. <laughs> I got hired 93. She's just a rook. <laughs> Some might have find that word offensive now, but not me. <laughs> that's why you're on the show. We listen to your stuff. We know there's not a whole lot that's going to offend you. Yeah. And no. I'll tell you what, your New York accent, that automatically lends to not being offended about anything. Right. So. Oh, well, yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so 1995. So in 1995, I got sworn in as a Suffolk County police officer. Suffolk County is the uh, easternmost county on Long Island, which is a part of uh, the state of New York. We have nothing to do with the crazy people in New York City itself, but we are the furthest county east on the island if you look at New York State as a whole. And that's where I worked. I worked in, in uh, there were t- four towns that merged together. Um, now it's almost 60 years ago to create the Suffolk County Police Department. What's your population there that you were serving at the time? 1.4 million. Holy smokes. You know what? You forget. You're thinking four towns, right? Yeah. Out here, you're thinking four towns. Okay, that's 120,000 people. Exactly. That's yeah. 100. Yeah. yeah. Right. Nope. New York. No. no. Talking, talking New York. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Right. What everyone needs to realize is that that county right there, uh, Suffolk County, also has the Hamptons in it. Is that that's that's accurate? No, that's not. That's that's even further east. Okay, oh. so it stops there. Okay. Yeah, the easternmost towns like Riverhead, the Hamptons, Montauk, the the very end of of the island, those eastern, far eastern towns, did not join in with the western towns of Suffolk County to be incorporated with the Suffolk County Police. Of course they so didn't. Have, they're not gonna they're not gonna mingle with the western towns. <laughs> yeah, kidding me? Because Suffolk County Police Department is so large. There were when I was working there, there were about twenty five hundred sworn officers and members, including detectives, if there was a major crime out in Montauk or in the Hamptons, a lot of times they would they would request the Suffolk County Police Department, either their canine unit or the, the homicide uh, detectives or or some of the other uh, units that were in Suffolk County to assist the local police departments because they were small and didn't have all these other, you know, uh, resources. And, yeah. 
specialized units. Well, and the fact that you were so big kind of lends to how your career was able, the trajectory of your career, right? How you were able to get the opportunities that you had. My guess <laughs> is those Western or those even more Eastern, those, those, those counties that didn't, didn't uh, join in with Suffolk County that they probably didn't have a chance for these anti-terrorism things, right? It wasn't even anti-terrorism. It was in uh, 96 when TWA flight 800 happened. And that's when she got selected to do what she did because of her uh, history with the Red Cross. Uh, yeah, I had, b- before I became a police officer, I, I had a paid job with the American Red Cross, which actually got that job when I was an auxiliary police officer through the police department in Nassau County, which is the westernmost county on Long Island. And I was just a volunteer police officer at that time, and I worked for the Red Cross. So that's where I got all my disaster training. From there, when you when you get hired onto Suffolk County, they ask you to fill out this form, which I think every department should do. Um, and they ask for your skills, like did you do carpentry? Did you do you know? People have done other things before they became police officers, and they compile that. So if there was something that occurred within the jurisdiction and they needed somebody who was specialized, they could just look you up and say, oh, this officer did this in, the, in their past jobs, and maybe they could be helpful here in the law enforcement side of it. So when TWA Flight 800 happened, my lieutenant knew that I had worked for the Red Cross, and he immediately uh, said, all right, you're going to go work in the medical examiner's office because you trained for plane disasters. And if you so that's how- if- if we could remind everybody, if you could just talk a little bit about TWA Flight 800 and what what happened there. Well, and there's also a lot of conspiracy theories on this. And Nelson DeMille, a famous author, wrote a book about, about a conspiracy theory that uh, he believes was actually what actually happened through his book and his viewpoints. But TWA Flight 800 was a uh, – TWA was a, is now a defunct airline – they were they flew both domestic and international and the flight 800 was leaving i believe kennedy airport to go uh in route to paris and they had over 200 passengers i believe and an explosion happened within the plane uh, that split the plane in half and the plane came down in the long island sound this was right after takeoff i think and and don't quote me on this but I'm pretty sure this is what started that led to particular regulations being assigned on what goes in the belly of the plane. There was something with oxygen tanks and that caused the initial explosion. That is one theory. Okay, don't hold me to that. But the tragedy was the cleanup of this, you know, and there were a lot of, uh, there was actually a class of school children going to to Paris to learn Mm. about you know, so that was the big tragedy. And of course, there were there were a lot of other lives that were lost. So all told, I think over 200 people were were killed, um, including, you know, the pilot, the co-pilot, the the, the TWA workers and, and I don't the think any, nobody survived, right? Nobody survived. Yeah. Uh, so it was a total cleanup effort. And so families came from all over the country to claim remains of their loved one. Uh, bringing in pictures. The Suffolk County Medical Examiner's Office is next to the New York City Medical Office. Uh, medical Examiner's Office is one of the best uh, medical examiner's offices in the country. 
excellent staff, excellent people, um, top of their game, highly qualified, highly skilled uh, personnel that work there. However, it's not half as big as the New York City uh, medical examiner's office. So the staff became overwhelmed. And because, you know, you have your regular daily business going on along now with all these extra uh, uh, remains coming in. So we were tasked, the Suffolk County Police Department was tasked with lending like security, doing security details, making sure that only uh, the appropriate personnel had access because there was media people trying to get in there. And, you know, they disguised themselves and, and try to get in and, and see their names. Scumbag ass you know. media. You know? Yeah. Years. And so I was tasked by my lieutenant because he knew I had been working for the Red Cross before I became a police officer. And I was literally, they, they actually pulled me off a of field training. They're like, okay, yeah, you've had enough. You're good. You've proven yourself. Now we want you to go over there and spend as much time as, I mean, I was over there for almost three months. And basically all I did was, you know, I, I did security work. I logged people in at the front desk. They set up like a folding table desk for us. And, uh, you know, I went in there and uh, I wasn't the only officer that was in there. It was a couple of other rookies that were in there. And, you know, because none of the seasoned guys wanted to do that. They wanted to be on the road where the action was. And so, you know, I was new. So I went over there and one day I had to drive the, the chief medical examiner down to the site where the site was on Mariches. So we got to talking in the car as I was driving him down there. And I was, I described this in my book because this is what happened when I was a young kid. I, 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 my favorite actor was Jack Klugman and he played Quincy, played a medical examiner. So I wanted to be a medical examiner when I was younger and in high school, but I sucked at chemistry, like sucked so bad. The teacher called my mother and said, yeah, I think she should drop this class. That's how bad I was. And I, I feel uh, your pain. <laughs> so, you know, uh, I couldn't become a medical examiner, so I had to find something else to do. So I was telling the chief medical examiner this and 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 we got to talking and he and he kind of liked me. And he's like, oh, you know what, I'm going to take you in the back and, you know, I'm going to give you an assignment back there. So he did. And, you know, one day I showed up to my 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 detail at the front and, you know, I had somebody come out. I don't know who she was. She was, you know somebody like she says and of course the police department had to approve me leaving the front desk going into the back so i was then assigned to the back room where the bodies were being brought in and and i would assist the medical examiner in 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 making sure the bodies made it in and and making sure nobody else came in with the bodies that was not authorized to yeah secure in the so, scene yeah just you know i, I mean it wasn't you know, I mean, a lot of other guys would have been poo-pooed it, you know, because that wasn't cool to them. But to me, I was like, a, you know, to me, this was a great learning experience for me and I, it's something that I was always interested in. And uh, so I got it was my first taste of a, of a, of a real mass casualty um, incident. And it was it was definitely heart wrenching to see. Well, they, now that's they, what I was going to say. So when people see this on the news and they talk about the people that are dead. It's just an abstract number. Right? Yeah, and it's when just, you see it on the news, you see the plane in the water and debris. And, and, and then, and then they people. tell you, well, there's 200 people dead. Okay, there's 200 people dead. Right. But when you're seeing these people come in and you're seeing the last clothes that they put on when they were excited to go to Paris and that's what they're wearing now, or you're seeing you know, a guy that comes in with a wedding ring on, or maybe he has a, a wallet full of pictures of his kids, 
it's got to hit different. Well, well, one guy, and I was surprised because a lot of these bodies were pulled out of the water. So there was, you know, a lot of uh, damage. I don't want the brutality of it all, but yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's it's just a fact. You know, bodies bloat, and when you're in water, other things happen to your mm-hmm. to the to the to the body. Right. We had this one guy. They um, they pulled him in, and and one of my tasks was to see if he had any idea bodies had any ID on them most of the time they were too wet and too dissolved so we would have to put them on these trays and then they would take those to see if they can you know do a preliminary ID through that um but we had this one guy who had in his shirt pocket he had his passport and it was one of the 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 first bodies that that came back and we you know I opened up his passport and the pages were still they were some of them were stuck together but in between one of the pages was like a, a, a piece of paper. It was, it was his ID. He was a, uh, a Parisian police officer that was in New York on vacation. Mm-hmm. So that really hit home for me because, you know, here's somebody in my profession, albeit, you know, from another country, you know, just enjoying, you know, his vacation right. in New York. You know, that's what I've always said about uh, just any death scene, any DOA you go to. You know, you walk through and there's it's some old guy maybe who died by himself, but you walk through and you see pictures of him when he was younger and pictures of his family. And when you start seeing things like this, like like he was uh, from Peru, you said, police officer? Parisian, uh, Paris police. Oh, 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 Parisian. Okay, so, it, so he's a French police officer. Uh, yes. But when you see that, now it hits home, right? He's you. You know he goes to his shift. You know, he sees awful things. You know, he goes home. You know, he has hobbies. He's over here having, having, you know, a good time over over in America on his way back, mm-hmm. excited to go home, see his friends, see his family. Mm-hmm. And now here mm-hmm. he is sitting on your tray. And and I was a young cop then. So, you know, this was. Had you seen a dead body prior to uh, that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, I had. When I was a volunteer police officer, I had seen. Oh, yeah. I, okay. Yeah. My, my first. And. You know, so like you said, I mean, it's not just looking at a piece of meat on the table because they had pictures of them when they were alive because family members brought pictures in. Mm -hmm. So there were pictures lining like a collage on one of the walls. And that really hit home because you see these people happy, just like you were saying, you see these people alive doing things and the pictures of the kids. I mean, yeah, it, it, it was very moving. In, in in a sense, you know, this is my first, you know, professional experience dealing with this. And it really, it, it took a toll because, you know, I was, I was a young cop and, you know, I saw all that right away, you know, right off the field well, training. You can, and I'm not saying you are, but you can act tough all you want. And you can say, you know, that, hey, it took me a long time to get over it. You're not over that. Unless you're a sociopath, right? <laughs> right. Unless you're an absolute <laughs> sociopath. I guarantee there are days that you are still at home and TWA Flight 800 flashes into your mind and you think about that. Uh, or that, certain that smells or, or uh, you know, right. anything could trigger yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, it's just. Well, we're coming up to the anniversary. So. Um, when, when was that? I think it was July 17th, 1996. Mm-hmm. Right. So when that happened yeah. and you became a, a disaster specialist, you referred to it as DMORT. Well, okay. Uh, a disaster specialist. I was a disaster specialist with the Red Cross. Okay. Demore was the at the time pre nine eleven was the, and there's still they still call it Demore. 
it was the uh, federal, it was a volunteer federal agency uh, disaster mortuary operational response team, okay. which mainly made up of medical professionals mm-hmm. who volunteer their time to go across the country who to deal with natural disasters and man-made disasters, plane crashes. Yeah, man-made. whether they're retired medical examiners or retired doctors or, that, or, that still want to get... Yeah, working and retired. Mm -hmm. And they give of their expertise and their time. And I believe there were nurses involved, all people all across the medical profession, you know, depending on what type of disaster it is, they will send certain doctors and certain, you know, and and after after flight 800, I had I had become friendly with with a bunch of these medical professionals who asked me, they're like, hey, our region doesn't have a uh, police officer why don't you join? And, you know, it's free to join. They, you know, you get approved. Once you get approval to join, uh, then, you know, the government will give you, I don't know how it works now. I'm sure it works differently now. But then when I was uh, getting on, it was, they send you your, your uniforms. You have to, to pay a stipend for the uniforms, but the federal government sends them to you. And you were under health and human services at the time because there was no homeland security back then. And they would give you training. They would give you localized training at a, at a hotel. You would spend the night. You would do two days of training and then they would certify you. And that's what I did. You I know, did it just, my, it's, well, my, my I, question is, did a bump in pay come with that or is that just something you do internally no, for yourself? Yeah. No, it, it was totally voluntary. Wow. But your, your department had to sign off on it because if you were needed, they had to realize, all right, now, you know what, Stacy has to go. Well, no, I had to use my own time. Really? That was wow. When, when you know, let me just say real quick, though, when you, you get on with DMORT, this is one of those things that, I mean, you enjoyed your time at Red Cross and everybody likes to be part of something a little bigger than themselves. Right. But man, you had to have no idea what was coming. Right. Nope. I mean, you get on and you're thinking, ah, maybe it'll be a plane crash here. Maybe a ferry will go down. Who knows? You know? Yeah. Yeah. God. Subway crash, yeah. subway yes. something. Right. Yeah. Something in the subway. Subway. As a matter of fact, uh, we did some, we did some training. I did some training with the New York city guys when I was still a uh, auxiliary police officer. Um, and it was on September 11th. I think it was September 11th. I don't know. It had to be 1992 or 1990. No, maybe it was 92, but it was September 11th when there was a a fire in Penn Station and the police and fire went there and and I was asked to go down. Total voluntary thing uh, with the Nassau County. I volunteered with the Nassau County Police Department. So I got asked by a couple of the cops that run it. Hey, would you come with us? You know, because they knew that I wanted to be a cop and and, you know, I wasn't like some of these guys that become auxiliary cops, you know, like, Ooh, handcuffs, let's go lock people up. I'm like, you know, that's not the way it works. So, Hmm. you know, they asked if I would come down and I was, you know, I was an avid photographer at the time and, you know, not everybody had cell phones and there weren't cameras on these things. So you had a real camera and uh, Nokia. Yeah. (laughs) I I think you meant Nikon. Nokia is a cell phone. There were no cell phones. Oh, Nokia yeah. is not a camera? No, Nikon. Nikon, that's Nikon. what it is. Yeah, I'm not a photographer. <laughs> by any means, by any means. Cell phones just come out or something. They were like flip phones or whatever. 
because I remember we had them, but uh, but mostly beepers were still around then. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, yeah. you can text all the codes, right? And, but, but it's crazy because what you signed on to do, it seems like anymore anybody today, especially the young ones, they're like, it, it does, it's not a bump and pay? Yeah, I'm good. Pass. Yeah, no, no bump and pay. Nothing. It was just something for me to give back, like you said. Well, and get back to your get back to your Red Cross roots, right? Something yeah. you really enjoy doing, and now you get to do it while you're being a police officer. That's great. Yeah. So my first activation was actually on 9/11. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's so let's fast forward. That's only that's only what man, five talk about jumping into the yeah, fire. That's five years. Yeah. That's only five years after TWA. Flight 800. But what I like to see and hear from people, uh, since uh, Jim just barely missed, you know, being alive when Kennedy got shot. And uh, bro, what? I was like six years out of that. Come on. Okay, my bad. Um, my parents and, and everyone else that, that I've known that was around that time, they knew exactly where they were when they found out. Yep. So so I like to play that game where I'm like, hey, where, where were you for 9-11? And uh, for me, uh, my girlfriend went to Kent State and her birthday was September 10th. Uh, and it was her 21st. So I go to Kent, I get her and her roommate all trashed, bring, make sure they get home, drive back to Grafton, which is like an hour drive, go to sleep at what, 2, 3 a.m., wake up at 7 a.m., go go to work in construction in Cleveland Heights. So I'm drywall finishing in Cleveland Heights. Everyone's listening to Howard Stern or all the other mm-hmm. radio stations, and all of a sudden it starts coming in, and we all start chattering, and then we, we're listening to it through basically Howard Stern talking about it. And I'm getting all pissed off. I'm, I'm telling the boss, I'm like, hey, I got to go to the house, man. It's time to lock and load. This is, we're under attack. And my father yeah. at the time was working in the federal building in Cleveland, laying floor. They wouldn't let him out. He was getting pissed. Lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. So I called my girlfriend, uh, who is my wife now, and I'm like, hey, uh, uh, you, d- d- I'm trying to explain to her what's going on. And she's like, doesn't, doesn't want to hear it. She's like, listen, I can't talk to you right now. I'm, I don't feel so good because she had a really good night the night before. Um, but then they canceled all the classes, so she didn't have to go to class that day. Um, so, but it was, it's just weird. Uh, do you remember where you were at, Jim? Oh, hell yeah. I was off, bro. You were so off? I was off. I had, uh, my middle daughter was born September 9th, 2001. Hmm. So she was two days old. Uh, I was sleeping obviously cause I have a newborn. My sister called me, said, I remember her words. She said, are you watching the news? And I said, what are you talking about? She goes, turn on the news. And I turned it on and I got up then. And I was sitting there uh, with my wife and we were watching it. We're watching all this stuff unfold. Watch the second plane hit. And I remember thinking, I'm like, that's it. Here we go. First one could have been an accident. First one could have been an accident. Second one, no accident, bro. So then towers fall. And I remember looking at my wife and I said, oh my God, all those people that are down below that are evacuating right now are gone. I said, you just watched at the time. I thought it was hundreds. I said, you just watched hundreds of people die right here live on TV. Yeah. Cause as soon as it starts dropping, you can't get out of the, no, the area. Yeah, fast I mean, all those people, all those firemen, all those cops, everybody's responding. People that are running up, you know, to go help people. They're all done. They're gone. They just disappeared just like that. Boom. Gone. So, and I remember, I remember holding my daughter and I was crying and I said, uh, I apologize to her. I said, I am so sorry that I brought you into this world. Because I really thought this was it. I thought it was, this was going to be, this was going to be the end, man. You know, 
like World War Three yeah, end, like yeah, yeah. Whoever like, was responsible. Well, yeah, we're, we're because shifting. now now we're watching the Pentagon. We're watching, you know, uh, Shanksville happens. I'm like, yeah. this is this is it. Yeah, this is it. This is where this is the the opening salvo right here. And I'm sorry I brought you into it. You know, yeah, yeah. The the Shanksville plane actually made a a, a circle around where we're at, right here, over North and, Ridgeville. Yeah, right turned over. around right over us. Yeah, yep, yep. So, so our 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 stories pale in comparison. Yeah. To yours, because yours, you, you heard about it. Mm. Yeah. So what was your day like, uh, you know, well, maybe even was, the night before to going into the next day? Yeah. Well, I had just finished, uh, we, we used to do, uh, I was on what's called, what was called two tour. So you would do five day tours, have a couple of days off. Then you would do five night tours and have 72 hours off. Yeah, that's and that's then great for your body clock. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, so I had just finished my four to twelves and I was going to have a nice 72 hours off and I had all these things planned, you know, how to run my errands, you know, you can't do anything on the day you're working. So I would, I, you know, had first day I do all my errands so that I can relax the next day. And, you know, and that's what I was doing. I, I got up, I don't turn the TV on. I'm not a big TV watcher. I, I, and you know, I didn't turn the radio on. I, I got ready. I got out. I got and you're living, how far, how far outside of New York city are you living right now? Well, right now I'm, or no, no, no. I mean, then, then. No, back then I was about 52 miles outside, approximately 52 miles outside of. Okay. Of so, New York. so you were far enough that if you didn't turn on the TV, you wouldn't know. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah okay. no, no, I was, it's like a different world where I lived in compared to, New York city. I was in a very suburban tree lined streets and, you know, uh, uh, beautiful homes and, you know, just quiet, quaint neighborhood. You know, I get into my car, my personal car to run my errands and I always have the radio on. That's the, you know, I always listen to the radio in the car, you know, my music. I, as soon as the card was on, the radio goes on and I'm hearing and I'm thinking my first thought was like, Oh, it's the anniversary of the bombing of the twin towers. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's September, and that was in February of 93, so this must be something new. And I, I remember that it was oddly clear out, because usually you don't have beautiful, clear days like that on Long Island, because you're surrounded by water, so there's usually always clouds or humidity. But it was a perfectly clear, beautiful Tuesday in September, and it was um, – primary day so there were elections people were going oh that's you know, right it was just beautiful out and it was about 70s in the 70s or the low 60s it was just it was like a perfect day and then i i my attention goes to the radio and i'm hearing things and i just made a u-turn and drove right to the precinct to find out what the was going on and, and welcome I, to pod bless America. You're allowed to say fuck, but okay, go ahead. Well, or maybe you meant I, hell. I don't know. Maybe I jumped the F bomb real quick. So, so I drove to the precinct and we have this, um, you know, they let me in and I went back to, it's like a crime control section, plain clothes. They're not detectives yet. It's the step to get to detective. And I walked in and they're all huddled around the small TV that's there and I walk over just in time to see the second plane hit. And I'm like, what the fuck just happened? And like my my eyes were seeing things, my head was spinning, and nothing was coming out of my mouth, which as you can tell, I'm a talker. So 
that was very unusual, but nobody was talking. Nobody was saying it. Everybody was in disbelief. So I went to my boss. I went to one of the lieutenants there and I'm like, you know, can I do anything? Do we need, do we need, you know, people to work? And he's like, wait, go home and wait for a phone call. Nobody knows what's happening. You know, there was no procedure. There was no protocol. You know, were there going to be more attacks? Nobody knew. So I went home and as soon as I went home, you know, I turned on the TV to watch the news and then I got the call from DMORT. And they're like, get ready. You're going to, you're going to be activated. We need you to come, you know, go here, here and there. And I was like, okay. So I just went and got my, my go bag all ready and my clothes and my vitamins and, and, and all my stuff all packed up. And I didn't, you know, and it was like so surreal. And I got my uniforms and, and I'm like, and then I called the precinct and, and the sergeant answered the phone. I'm like, listen, I'm, uh, put me out on vacation, put me out on sick leave. I don't care what you put me out on, but this is where I'm going. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm part of this volunteer agency and I'm going to go help out in New York City because then we didn't, we didn't call the ground zero or the pile yet until days later. So he had to tell the admin person and the admin person called the county executive, which is like a mayor, but for the counties, we had a county executive and each county had its own county executive. And by executive order, the county executive allowed me to be paid by the police department. All right. That's what I was going to ask. I didn't, I didn't want to start, yeah. I didn't want to start shitting on your department until I knew for sure. Cause, cause no. I, I would have shit all over them. So wasn't, wasn't no. that, wasn't that county executive the longest serving county executive ever elected? Yeah. 40 years of, of yeah. and he even switched parties, but Sorry, I digress. Yeah, they, I, I don't. I don't know too much about that. I didn't get involved. I wasn't involved in politics then. Now everybody should be. Yeah. What's happening? What's after? What's going on today? I know you saw the bullshit that's going. Now they're coming after our guns. You know, but I'm not oh, going to go that's, there. That's coming up. That's coming up on a uh, on our next episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. So, that's good. So they didn't give you any hassle. They just said, "Hey, look, if she's going to help, we're paying her." Yeah, everybody was very patriotic and supportive, but none of the other cops knew where I was. They all just chattered amongst themselves. So when this book came out, ironically, I got attacked by a bunch of cops that I worked with saying, oh, you were never there. You to the police department didn't send you. I'm like, no, the police department didn't send me, but they allowed me to go. They couldn't understand that concept that, you know, scrawny little me. And I wasn't by no means, and I even say it four or five times in the book, I was not super cop, okay? There were a lot people, a lot more people smarter than me and a lot more people that were that were more talented than I was at being a cop and at being a detective. But I was getting all kinds of shit from people that I worked with who should have just shut their mouths and even a couple of death threats thrown in there. So I, I really figured I, I did something right. Well, but, you know what's funny? So you've got these you got these cops that are whatever. They're just running off the mouth uh, saying that you were lying, that you, you weren't there. Uh, this book's bullshit. Unfortunately yeah. for them, um, you have a, a commendation, a letter here from Tommy Thompson, who was a secretary of health and human services at the time. Yes. thanking you yes. for your, well, and I'll read it here. It says, dear Miss Goodman, thank you for the invaluable service you rendered to the victims of the September 11th tragedies. Your deployment through the national disaster medical system enabled rapid action and proficient healthcare delivery to fellow citizens and non-Americans alike. 
in the aftermath of the horrific terrorist attacks on the nation and the world. I am grateful for your hard work as well as the personal sacrifice you endured to serve those in need. Now it goes on. Are these cops? Are they saying that Tommy Thompson's lying too? Is this a big conspiracy? <laughs> oh man. Do we have do we have Tommy Thompson lying just to, so you could sell a book 20 years later? Yeah, well you know what's really funny is that I literally and I'm not kidding you. I have literally 10 pounds, 10 pounds of paperwork, affidavits from people because in order to get World Trade Center um, um, health care, you had to have proven that you were down there. Three affidavits had to be completed, documentation and, and photos and everything. I showed them everything. So, um, yeah, oh, there's plenty of proof that I was down there. Well, do you want us right now? Do you want us to call those cops that were calling you out? We'll have them on right now. And no, we'll, just, we'll fuck have those guys. Out. We already gave them enough. No, you time. know what? I'm fuck calling those guys. Them. I'm calling them. <laughs> um, so, Sons so of bitches. The, let me have another bourbon. So the pile, I never liked the name, the pile. I felt like it was just too bland, too blase of a, of a term for it was, was yeah, there, I don't, I don't feel that way. Was the there, pile, was there two separate piles or did it all come down to be one pile? They just called it the pile, which was basically the 1.8 million tons of rubble that was left after the towers fell. You know what? Here's, here's my thing, Dan, and you know, I'll call you out in your bullshit. You don't have a right to not like it. You know why you don't? Because you weren't standing on top of that rubble, getting your feet burned. You weren't pulling bodies out of it. If the people that were standing on top of it decide they want to call it the pile, fuck you, Dan. Yeah, I guess you don't, it's just generic for okay, me. Okay, but you don't, you don't get a say. I, I understand. Go that. down there and pull some bodies out. Then you no, can say you something. You think I wouldn't you have? Like you know what? Uh, <laughs> Stacy? I appreciate the call. I, me and Dan have to, we're going to have to handle some business here. <laughs> He wants to fist fight me. You got some feelings, huh? I got a stretch. Feelings. I got a stretch. I'm getting old. I can't just fight out of the blue. But yeah, uh, well, I'm just just for me. It just it, it it didn't sit right when I heard it. But you have to imagine when they both came down, it ended up being one giant pile of rubble. Is that correct? Yes, it was about, and it's hard to explain this to people, but um, imagine a building about ten stories high, and that's about as high as some of the some of the rubble was oh wow and it was just and it was basically two city blocks right it could have been more yeah because the footprint of them were were a city block or or more as far as yes. the, as far as the buildings go and then when it spread out it was and crazy you also have to, there were a couple of other smaller buildings like the marriott hotel which was world trade center three because the, the world trade center was a grouping of about seven buildings or eight buildings mm-hmm. i'm not and then the world financial building buildings were were next door and they lost they they didn't come down but like they were mostly glass and most of their glass got blown out and that big atrium was all blown out um but uh so the marriott hotel was destroyed so all of that all of that compiled to what what they called the pile um it was the simplest way to term it at the time because of the enormity of it. it nobody else knew what else to say i mean you could call it ground zero uh if you will but the pile is what everybody used down there well let's not i don't want to skip over anything so we ended with you getting authorization to, to still be paid all right right so right. they tell you hey we're so, going to pay you you got your stuff packed you told bosses, hey, I'm out. Yeah. Then what? 
I went down. I was in contact with the um, with the administrator from the police department. Now, you remember, we're not walking around with cell phones and all the cell towers were taken down. We did have cell phones, but back in 2001, they were very um, simple. They were analogs. Right, basically. So you, you couldn't get a text message or any of that stuff. It was just, you know, you'd get a call or you'd get a letter in the mail, which, if I may mention, that back then businesses were great, like my banking and my my uh, vehicle loan, they knew what I did for a living. And they sent me letters saying, oh, if you can't make this month's payment or if you miss it, we're not going to charge you any late fees what? because we know what you're doing. What, yeah, banks, what banks were those at the time? <laughs> well, it was Bank of America All right. and um, the car dealership. All right. So Bank of America, shout out to how you used to be. I don't know how you are now. We'll have to look into that. But how you used to be at least. They're still a fine institution. I know a lot of people don't like them, and I know they're really not a Bank of America. Yeah, I, I don't trust banks anymore. Clever name, though. Clever, clever name. name. <laughs> <laughs> Their marketing yeah. director, man. Kudos. Yep. yep. Kudos to the marketing director. <laughs> so when you got there, you you did 23 days on the pile at 12-hour mm-hmm. shifts, all night work. Man, right. that, had, I, that had to bend. The ironic thing is I had never done a midnight, and, and the director who was assigning people tasks were like, oh, well, you're a cop. You're used to doing midnights. I'm like, I never worked a midnight, but that's what I got assigned to, 7 p.m., 7 a.m. with the same group of professionals. Um, there were cops from all over the country. Um, I worked with a guy from Hawaii who, who managed to get to New York on a military flight um, because, you know, they had grounded all the I was working with him and, you know, we did the same. I worked with the same group of guys every single night. So they became like family. So mm-hmm. what'd you do? I mean, so you're standing on this pile. What are you doing? Well, the, the first day we were given instruction, basically in a meeting format, you know, we were told what our assignments were going to be. Now I was just, a, you know, because I'm not a medical professional, I figured, okay, I'm going to be assisting the medical examiner, you know, right on the pile. And, uh, we, you know, I figured I'd just be, you know, doing whatever he needed me to help him with. And we get down there and they have this other group, the, the, the DMATS, which they do all the technical stuff and they set up the tents, all the physical labor. They got the tents all set up for us. We picked a spot where it was nice and flat, where, where there was like this marble staircase, um, or a granite staircase right in front of the World Financial Center. Now that now New York City had blocked the city police had blocked off Lower Manhattan, so nobody can get uh, further south than like 24th Street, or it might have been even been further north than that. I don't know exactly where they blocked everything off, but nobody could go further south. And people were renting cars and just leaving. They were leaving, you know, people that were there in New York City vacationing were like, well, we can't get home by plane. Might as well get get a car and start driving home. So people left the city. You know, you try to explain people to this pre-COVID, like there was nobody in the city. There was nobody in the streets. There was nobody on the freeways and the highways. And they look at you like, what do you mean? Now, post-COVID, nobody was on the roadway. The roadways were closed. Lower Manhattan was closed. Uh, you couldn't go down there. You just couldn't go down there. And people understand you now. So I thought I was going to just be assisting. So we get in there and I'm setting up. 
the gloves. I'm setting up all the supplies that came in and um, that the government had brought in on these, you know, these uh, military planes and they're dragging out all this stuff and we're setting it all up for the medical examiner, you know, the steel gurneys and, and all this other stuff. And the ME looks at me and he's like, well, you're a police officer. You were sworn in as a temporary federal agent. And um, this is a federal crime scene. You're going to have to do preliminary IDs before I can even touch the body. Hmm. And I'm like, excuse me? So that was a pretty big weight on my shoulders because, you know, this all had to be done with precision. We had somebody taking taking notes. There was, you know, everything. It was laid out like a crime scene. And everything was done in in very specific order. And so that's what I had to do. That was my function. That was my job. And I described some of the things, you know, some of the people that I met, mostly firefighters, while I was down there. So when, when you were every day at 7, would you get on to the actual pile or were you down off of it and people were bringing bodies to you? Well, we were, yeah, because we were in these tents that were, it was technically on the pile, but it was kind of next to the pile. So the search and rescue people were finding these bodies and they would bring them to you minutes after they pulled them out. Right. And we had two major tents and they would go in through the, the, the intake tent and, and everything was handled with the utmost respect and, it was like, and I think it's important to point out, and I, I, I know how hard it is. I think it's important to point out that people think about, oh, you're bringing a body to them, right? And, and they're bringing you these pristine, you know, everybody's been to a funeral. You've seen a body sitting in a casket, right? That's not what you had, right? You were having bodies with indescribable damage done to them from hundreds of pounds of of steel and concrete it, concrete and whatever else has fallen on top of them. If you were mm-hmm. lucky, my guess, and I don't know this for sure, but my guess is that you had more than one hand brought to you, right? More than one foot brought to you, more than one pelvis brought to you. Well, it was, it was, it was fascinating. And some of the stories that I write in my book were just about that. Like at first they came in, we got some whole remains, which was, you know, welcoming in a sense. Looking back on um, it, right? Looking back on yeah, what was about yeah. to come, it was welcoming. Yeah. And well, and as as the days went on, it became parts and then pieces and then bones. And it was just, the medical examiner I was working with was incredible because I remember him looking at a femur and he just picked it up and he's like, yeah, a 30-year-old male, and look, he's getting, he's starting to get arthritis, and I'm like, uh, and, you know, I had, like, my flashback to Quincy, and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy is, like, brilliant, beyond brilliant, and um, New York City at the time, you know, and, and the media actually was very helpful in the sense of getting the word out to people, you know, hey, if you're missing your loved one, and they were, they were in the towers, um, you know, bring their hairbrush, bring a toothbrush, something with their DNA on it, because they were going to store all that. Because back then, DNA wasn't that great. Right. It has come a long way. And actually, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, they identified two new bodies, two new re- sets of remains. They confirmed two missing people were, so, actually, were actually killed on 
And there's probably, I don't even know, there's probably way more, right? There's probably hundreds more that they haven't. Oh, they, yeah, there's plenty more that they haven't identified. But but to, for that family to get that closure, sure. um, why oh. they still test and they're still finding pieces. And uh, it, it, it's, a, it's when they were building. That's why they had to keep stopping, I believe, so many times. Because when they were moving things, you know, there's going to be pieces and parts and... You know, so how many, how many days were you on 23 and I bet that 23 seemed like a hundred fucking years, man. I mean, at the end of those 23 days, you had to be like, um, it seemed like lifetime I'm and done. I didn't want, you know, and I, I got the feeling like I knew how these, how these, um, how soldiers feel coming back from combat. And I'm not trying to say that I'm comparing myself to a soldier or that I'm better than a soldier. I'm just saying right, closest I, thing too. I, I can almost relate to what they feel like when they've been away for a couple of years and they're coming back. Right. right. In, well, and you know what? It comes more. back. To, it, it comes back to what we we're talking about before. When you're getting those whole bodies in there, and you're finding, I, you're finding a wallet that has this guy's, you know, happy license picture in it, and pictures of his kids, pictures of his wife. You start feeling mm-hmm. like you know this guy. Yeah. You're like, and I am not, don't get me wrong, man. I am not making this about me. I am not trying to compare myself to you. Okay. Right. Uh, but no. you know, I go on a, on any DOA scene and I find like the old guy or I find, you know, somebody ODs on heroin and they find them there by themselves and you start going through their wallet and you're seeing them in happier times. Mm-hmm. I find the old guy and I see pictures of him when he was married back in 1952, right? And I see pictures of his kids and I see pictures of him on vacation. And by the time I leave there, I feel like I know this guy. Right. And I would guess that once you start finding those bodies that are coming in with their wallets and you get a snapshot of their life, this is who this guy was. He had two daughters. Here's a picture right. of him and his wife and his kids at Disney World, Right you got to feel like, you know, them, you got to have some connection to these people. Yeah. You, you do because they're, they're like neighbors, you know, most of them lived on long Island. So did you, like, well, let me ask you the question. Did you, did you ever end up identifying anybody or finding anybody that you knew either through acquaintance or. I can't really say because so much came through, but I only did preliminary IDs because even if I found a wallet, on them or, or a purse on them. It could have been somebody else's. Right. We just did. Okay. This is who we think it is. Now we can go to that family and say, Hey, do you have any DNA so we can confirm? Would you have any dentists? If, if, if we go over, yeah, I gotta go deep. The humanitarian crisis on this cannot be overstated. I'll tell you what, Stacy, you did a podcast with a lady and forgive me for not remembering exactly which one it was. This lady had the facts before she even brought you on, she had the facts of the firemen, how many people, how many kids, how many, like she, Robin, she, Robin, Robin, Robin show, Robin Cote. Yes. Dude, she I was listening yeah. to that and she got halfway through her numbers of the exact amount of P and I didn't even want to listen to it anymore. I was sickening. like, it was sickening. Yeah. It, it really like, and I feel like I could take a lot. I can hear a lot of bullshit, see a lot of bullshit. But when she, she started going, I was like, all right, that's, uh, that's enough. Right. When you hear the number, when you hear the total number of people lost, it's abstract. It's just thousands of people. They buried everything. It's sort of like the, you know, the 22 uh, uh, servicemen that commit suicide every day. They don't talk about it. There are more people that died post 9-11 than that have died 
on 9-11. And it's not just first responders. It was, you know, uh, utility workers, construction workers, iron workers, Verizon workers, anybody that was down there cleaning up that got sick. We all got sick from something. Right. And, well, and, and let's, well, I mean, well, let's talk about that right now. Why aren't yeah. you, why aren't you the police still? Hmm. Well, I'm, I, I was actually, I'm still fighting for my fucking medical benefits. I have oh, to here fly we go. Bureaucracy get in the get way. started. Yeah. To go back to New York just so that they can, they can see, have me see another doctor. Now the last doctor they had me see wrote them a 10 page dissertation on why I'm a hundred percent disabled and can no longer do police work. Well, So hold and on. You know so what? you're saying the reason you got out of police work is because of medical, medical issues yeah, due to nine 11. I couldn't. Yes. I couldn't breathe in, in winter. Any, and if the weather gets below 40 degrees, I can't even be outside. Which is why you live where now? I live in the desert in Arizona. I need mm. dry, arid uh, a climate to breathe. And when we do have rains here, we get rain here every once in a while. And there's monsoons in the summer and it gets a little humid. And I'm talking like 30 percent, 40 percent. I have I have either an asthma attack. I, I have to use my breathing uh, 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 meds or I have to do something where I, I have to assist my lungs in, in, in breathing. God forbid. And, God forbid. Any cancer yet? No, thank God. Thank God. Right. But you would because think that, that seems to be, listen, if you get on the officer down memorial page and you start looking at all these guys, now this is just cops. We're not talking about firemen. We're not talking about iron workers, but you look at all these guys and officer down memorial page is now recognizing, um, nine 11 causes as being yeah. line of duty deaths. And you look at I, them all and it is just cancer, 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 cancer. Can yeah. I tell you, I worked with this guy. Um, he, he was a detective out of the first squad. I have both the pleasure and the honor of working with him. Great guy. And I mentioned him in my book. He was a Suffolk County detective. He was down at ground zero two days, two days. And he died of nine 11 related cancer. Wow. From two okay. days, from two days. Well, you got to think about the stuff they're breathing in, man. I mean, you're breathing it's in cool. biological yeah. You know, you're breathing yep. in people that are burning to death. You're yeah. breathing yes. in concrete fibers. You're breathing in asbestos. asbestos. A lot of you're, asbestos. Right. You're breathing in s chemical smoke. Jet fuel residue. Right. Jet fuel. You're bur burning plastics. I mean. Do you, do you know that there were fires that were burning for 99 days at ground zero? Oh, I believe it. Because time they would lift a piece of steel Air would get in and would reignite a fire. Yeah, yeah. So for when sure. they brought when they brought the bodies out, they would they told us they warned us. They said, "Don't touch a buckle. Don't touch anything metal because it'll burn you." Yeah, it's hotter than hell. It hasn't, it hasn't cool. Yeah. So why are you fighting for your? I mean, you were there. Well, why, you, you, why are you? You fighting? would think that with all the federal money they have ever released, uh, 9 eleven victims, both the the heroes that were there or the victims. <laughs> Uh, there there would be that. enough to go around for everybody. Or maybe these dirty sons of bitches can keep the money from Ukraine next time and they can give it to the 9-11 responders. How about that? Yeah. Right. How about that? Yeah. How about, how about that? that? Right. That's a great fucking idea. Yeah, exactly. How, how, how about if we don't do gender studies in Pakistan and we give it to the 9-11 responders? You yeah, dirty about, sons of bitches in D.C., man. I swear <laughs> to God, they are. It's true. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's not D.C. It's New York City. It's the state. But it's federal That's money, Right. They're getting no. federal money for this. Well, yes, it is federal too, but it's the state as well because the state could just turn around based on that last doctor's notes. 
who declared me. He could have said, no, she's only 50%. He said, 100% disabled. And I could use that extra money because they have, because, because the World Trade Center program does not pay for any like Eastern style medicine. And there's, there's, there's a place in Scottsdale, which is near me, that, that offers this lung therapy, but it's Eastern medicine. It's, it's expensive, but it helps. Because every once in a while, my, my friends will give me a gift certificate to go to this place because it's so expensive. They all chip in, get me a gift certificate, and I go there, and it actually helps my lungs. Yeah. And if I do this on a regular basis. Well, what the fuck? Why isn't there a GoFundMe or something? I mean, I see GoFundMe's for, I see GoFundMe. Listen, yeah, I see GoFundMe's for these assholes that are like, oh, you know what? I went and gambled all my money away. They repossessed my car. I need new money. For, I need money for a new car. Oh, GoFundMe. And they get oh, no. These sons of bitches get like $19,000. Here's the best. Here's the best. And I'm glad you brought that up. Hell yeah. Those fucking, fucking assholes. I fucking had a preach. I, had a fr- I have a friend who started a GoFundMe for me using my police picture. I got oh. death from my police department. Oh. You make, you got enough money. You should do this yourself. What a fucking joke you are. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. You know, so I had my friend take it down. Ugh. I said, not dealing with this bullshit. Ugh. You know, I said, so don't even worry. I'll find a way, you know, without this fucking nonsense. So so now here I am. I have to fly back to New York again and go see yet another doctor. At first, get this. And I told them to go fuck themselves because they're like, oh, yeah, we want you to go back to New York and see Muhammad Allah motherfucker. He's your next doctor you have to see. And I, I'm like, oh, fuck that. I'm not seeing that doctor. Do you know I got PTSD? I ain't seeing that fucking doctor. Like, I draw the line somewhere. You know what? And listen, listen, there's going to be people that hear this that are like, oh, no, she's, she's, she's Islamophobic. You know what? These are also people that were not identifying people, identifying fucking fingers that were coming out of 9-11. I don't have a problem with this, just like I don't have a problem with World War II vets that still hate the Japanese, right? I don't have a problem. Yeah, you can't shake that. No, man. You know what? Your friends got killed on the Arizona. I get it. You're never getting over it, right? I don't, whatever. You know what? And I hope we leave that in there. And I hope somebody complains about it because fuck you. You know what? You didn't live her life. You don't have a right to say shit about it. So, right. Thank you. You're welcome. God damn. Yeah, get me all fucking. I'm sweating now. I'm all pissed off. <laughs> Shit. He's riding this way with you. God damn. He's, he's in fucking government. But, but I'll, I have to tell you the late, my, my, my uh, caseworker for New York state, she has been so compassionate and, and doing everything that she can for me that she's like, well, we only have a few doctors. So here I'll let you choose from our limited selection. Well, good. Good. And, I'm they glad at least somebody in the goddamn system's working for you. Uh, I'm yeah, sure there's but a butt here. The, 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 the limit. Yeah, here's the butt. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. I thought this was going to nope. be good news. No, nope. there's no silver lining Son here. Son of a bitch. But none of them, you know, it's there. There are no American names on the list. Yep. Okay. So now I have to choose. I can't see a doctor here in Arizona. And now let's go. Brandon fucking plane tickets are fucking $1,200 to go back to New York. Right. And I, for that out of my own pocket so mm. yeah i can't even take that off on my taxes so yeah thank you very much Fucking uh, must be that putin price hike 
goddamn Putin. He's responsible for everything. Putin, you know what? I had to pay more for milk. Thanks, Putin. Ukraine is where they're doing all the money laundering for, for, for the Biden family. Oh, boy. Don't get me That's started. Whole Don't show. get me started. That's a whole nother show. Look, I stand with the Ukraine people. A government's a whole different story than dirty sons of bitches. All right, listen. Yeah. We got to move on here because we're running out of time. I want to address okay. something. Very, I want to address something big. I do. Okay. I want to address the conspiracy theorists. I want to address the people that say that 9-11 either didn't happen or was an inside job, right? That yeah. all these people didn't die, that, you know, whatever. I mean, I've heard yeah. the, the craziest conspiracy theory. The explosion happened. The explosion happened, but they no had plane. everybody, right? They, well, and no plane, right? There was no plane. Or they had everybody moved out of the buildings. It was just a false flag event. But there was no yeah. plane. They actually yeah. detonated. So what do you say to these people that say that 9-11 is bullshit? Okay. Well, first of all, when I go to book signings, I deal with a lot of these people. Oh, I bet you do. I didn't even think about that. First of all, I fucking stood over the landing gear. I fucking personally stood over the fucking landing gear. Okay. And I have a, there, there was the FBI actually, actually released photos of the landing gear. I know, I know survivors that actually saw the plane physically. There's, they were standing at the base of what was once the Twin Towers, watching the plane go in. There's multiple, multiple video sources of, of imagery of these planes Stacey, going in. Stacey, come on. Jesus Christ. Haven't you heard of Photoshop? <laughs> huh? uh, deep fakes. Deep well, fakes you know back what? Then. And the thing with the landing gear, and you know, that's, that's hilarious to me. Because what, how about the landing gear? Are they claiming now that there were like two dudes who'd like... We're carrying in a piece of landing gear and they walk past the, they walk past the front desk and they're like, what are you guys doing? They're like, dad, nothing. We're just heading up to the 88th floor. Don't mind us. Landing gear repair shop. Landing gear repair shop. (laughs) Have you ever seen how, I never realized how large. Yeah landing gear yeah yeah yes and you know what it's funny um so my daughter is in aviation um and i did her senior pictures for her and just it's all in who you know i managed to get a united Airlines 737 for her senior pictures we were down there around it and you are 100 percent correct like you look at it from the airport and you think these planes like a 737 little squat plane not a big deal right but it is amazing it is amazing how big they are and the other thing is um, that I always point to when people say stuff like this is we had a windstorm come through once and a traffic light fell down, right? When you're sitting at a traffic light in a car, they don't look that big. When you're standing next to a traffic light, holy shit, man. It's as tall as you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I remember when I was a rookie cop, we had, we had wind and brought down a whole uh, section of lighting and came crashing down and, and the town said they can't reuse them or anything like that because once they come crashing down, it destroys the internal mechanisms but I'm talking 30 years ago. I'm sure now they fixed that. But yeah, those things weigh like 50, 60 pounds each. They're huge. They're like five and a half feet tall. Yeah. But yeah, same thing with the landing gear. You're right. It is amazing how big they are. So, yeah. and I stood right over it and yeah, it, it's, it's just, are incredible. you able to keep your, are you able to keep yourself together when these people come to your book signings? They're like, you're full of shit. You're full of shit. You're a crisis actor. <laughs> are you yeah. are you willing to keep your shit together or do you just go off? I try to keep my shit together because I want them to buy my book. I'm like, just <laughs> fuck up. Give me your twenty dollars. Exactly. And you know what? If you're not if you're not buying my book, I'm not gonna have this conversation with you. But if you want to buy my book, it's sort of like sticking a few coins into the 
into one of those machines to have the guy talk to you. If you're not sticking the coins in, I'm not talking to you. Get the fuck out of here. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to talk about Smithtown for a second. Smithtown. Okay. Oh, dude, well, listen, we're at 102. I know where we're at. Ugh. Real quick. You're going right. to like this, okay? All right. All right. Smith- we still got to talk about her book. Smithtown is in the area that she patrolled when she was working for the county, right? And yes, it's area I in. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was first settled in 1665. This is Dan's thing. He loves research and he loves history. Yeah. Local legend has it that after rescuing a Native American chief's abducted daughter, Richard Smith was told that the chief would grant him title to all the land that Smith could encircle in one day on a bull. Shut up. (laughs) Shut up. Is that right? Dude, I'd be walking around. Like, I'd be like, how fast is your bull? Smith's no idiot, right? He picked... he, he picked the longest day of the year, summer solstice, <laughs> and that's how he got Smithtown in the neighboring town. Dude, really? <laughs> no, well, no, the Lord goes is that the day before he was going to do this, he took a female um, cow or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck the bull fucks. That <laughs> was in estrus, and he marched her around. The biggest made the biggest circle he could with this with this animal. Then he got so the, the bull and heat, and oh, the bull yeah. would sniff that shit right out and go and go around. Yes, so that's a, is that a true story or there's is that- a large ato- uh, uh, um, anatomically correct statue of Smith's bull known as Whisper in the Fork of Jericho Turnpike. Okay, but is that we're going to do a show from there? We're going to we're going to do a show from there. That's our thing. Yeah. We always say we're going to do shows from different places, and we always do them from this hot ass fucking office. That's all we do. I will meet you there. Oh, all right. Now, now listen. Now we got That's something. Breakfast place right around the corner from from that that bull is the best breakfast place in the world. It's no. Wait a minute. 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 Or uh, see, this is the bullshit I'm talking about. So now you're being dramatic, right? You're telling me that this is a better breakfast place than the place that is 40 miles southeast of London, England, that you don't even know about. You're willing to take that bet that this is the best breakfast in the world. And her, because, and her. Because, and I'll tell you why, because it has already made the list, the top 10 places to eat breakfast before you die. Okay, fuck. We're in. All right. So Stacy, <laughs> we're going to, listen, we're going to stay in touch. Well, you are, you're, you are currently a friend of the show. So we are going to stay in touch and we are going to meet you out there and we're going to do breakfast at this place. And then we're going to go out to the bull statue. But do we know this okay. is true or is this just a wives' tale? There's a freaking statue of the Smithtown Bull that. Richard okay, Smith well they're going to put a statue up about Barack Obama saying he's the best president ever, and that's just a wives' tale. <laughs> that ain't true, right? Oh, I mean, fuck. This is more true than that. All right. Yeah. All right. And can we? Can I? Can I tell people about my book? Oh no, no we're definitely in with your book. So <laughs> let me let's let's get to that. So if uh, so, Stacy wrote a book here, and she's going to tell you about it. But um, if you go to Stacy S T A C E Y Stacy Goodman and you can see all about Stacy, you can see uh, about her career. If you have something going on and you want her to come speak, uh, minus the f bombs, she's she's good about that. We talked about that before. She can stop. Um, <laughs> Then you, you can uh, you can get her on there, or you can buy her book right here from Amazon. I believe it's Amazon. No, right? don't, don't buy the book from Amazon. Oh, fuck right? Amazon. That's what I meant. Yeah. Fuck Amazon. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say that, but I will say if you go onto my website, you can buy it through my secure site okay. through PayPal. 
and also purchase it with a credit card. And I personally will sign the book and mail it to you. Okay. All right. So, so tell me about your book. Oh, well, what do you want to know? Well, (laughs) I want to know what made you write it and when did you write it? It looks like it was the 20th anniversary. It came out for the 20th anniversary, but I'll tell you, I started writing it. It took me about 10 years to put a lot of it on paper. And that's what I did. I actually hand wrote a lot of it and I didn't know what to do with it. So I actually hired an editor and a webmaster, I call Mm -hmm. him, and an all around genius. He knows how to navigate and how to to, uh, get books uh, self-published. So he did all of that for me. And when I handed him these papers, he just kind of looked at me. And I said, I don't like computers. You're like, fucking you're like sorry. <laughs> sorry in advance. You know what? Trust I'm, me. We totally I'm understand telling like, editors sorry. It, it, <laughs> we do it every week. So, you know, he he's very talented. He did the cover of, of my book. He put all the pictures in there. He, you know, I gave him the pictures and he scanned them or whatever they do to get the p- pictures in the book. And, and uh, he also has that letter from Tommy Thompson and the certificate that was sent. Well, and I would, I would tell everybody to please, um, if you're even remotely interested in ordering this book, go to stacygoodmanbook.com. Uh, the book is called The Dust Never Settles. Yep, 9-11, 20 years, view from ground zero. And it's her story. It is, it is what she told you here today, plus a whole lot more. And there's a whole lot of folks on here uh, that have stood behind this book and given her reviews for it. Uh, one of those you guys know, uh, Sheriff Mark Lamb out in Pinal County, Arizona, uh, the American Sheriff. At least go and check out the website. After we get off uh, off the air here, maybe we'll talk Stacy into sending us one book that we can give away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a good giveaway. <laughs> yeah, for a good giveaway. Or maybe we'll buy it. I don't know. Whatever. We'll buy it. We'll rock, paper, scissors. Nah, you know it. what? Listen, she's trying to come up with money to go to New York. I'm not asking her to give us free shit. We'll buy the book as long as she as long as long she signs it for Pod Bless America. She mentions Pod Bless America. Yeah, yeah, all right. All can right. it That's say, we'll can it say Pod Bless America, motherfucker, and then <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if you don't have if you don't drop at least six F bombs in your in your in whatever you write in there, then we're gonna we're done with you. We're never gonna Oh talk my to god. You. You, you guys are like my fucking people, you know that? No, we are. You don't get it. That's what I said. So just so everybody understands here, we were supposed to just have a call today. So I guess Stacy, did you, I don't even know how you came across us, probably through the Mark Lamb episode, but she sent us an, uh, a message and said, hey, I might be a good fit. And so we were going to have just a call today and we were going to talk to her and we're going to say, hey, you know, who are you? What are you about? We're going to make sure she was a good fit for the show. Dan listened to a couple podcasts. He called me today. He's like, listen, bro. We yeah. don't need to have this call with her, right? Schedule, she is our people. Scheduled for five. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, I did. Well, it was probably at two o'clock. I sent you a message and I'm like, hey, look, we're down. If you want to do this today. So you are our people for sure. <laughs> and I would love to have you back on. If you're if you're willing to do it, maybe come come September. Um, we can have a 9-11 episode. Uh, we'd love to have you back yeah. on. And we, you oh, know, I- if you, God, man, when you're passing through, you fly out here and do you drink whiskey? What? what do you drink? Please tell me you drink whiskey. Uh, you're going to hate me for this. Oh, fuck. I drink. Truly? <laughs> White Claw? What do you, God damn it. What are you, you're going to shit on me here. What do you drink? I, I, I kid you not. I drink water and iced tea. Oh, That's it. 
God damn it. You know what? Well, here's your problem. You're going to come out here with us. And I want you to understand that bourbon and iced tea is the same color. So <laughs> good luck when you come out here. That's all I'm well, saying. Let, let, just let me tell you, you know, I could be an asshole without the alcohol. Oh yeah. Right. But that's not what we know. want. We want the asshole with the alcohol. Man. I cannot even imagine what that ride's like. <laughs> Man, we got to get out of here. Holy shit. Tim is going to be crazy. We're at 111 right now. This, yeah. I, you know what? This might be one of those where it breaks into two. Hey. Because I can't even think right now, 15 minutes, we can cut out of this thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Side note, Smithtown area. Oh, here we go. The, the British had a fort there. Did they make bourbon? No, the British had a fort there yeah. that during the Revolutionary War. We sacked. No. <laughs> what? What's that? We sacked it. They have- we did? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah. can you, the can Patriots you, did? Can you fill me in on that one real quick? Since Jim loves the Revolutionary oh, War. Oh, yeah. Maybe uh, she doesn't know what you're talking about. She's like, we, we did. Yeah, we did? Huh? Well, I did. We we, we conquered Indians. The, the, what is it? The Iroquois Indians were out there, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My- but what about the British fort? Dan's saying that the Patriots took over a British fort mm-hmm. in Smithtown. That's- or it could have been the, the town right next to it, but it said that there was a, a fort there. All right. Well, we're going when we have breakfast. So <laughs> you think I'm joking? We need to figure this out. Also right. have the most haunted bar in Smithtown. The most yeah. what? Haunted bar. All right. All right. See, I'm getting down with this now. I'm getting down with this. God, mm-hmm. Be out there with a 9-11 hero. Most haunted bar. A guy that actually made... Now, let me ask you this, though. Is Smithtown a perfect circle? No. Uh, so he didn't ride the bull around in a circle. He just kind of rode it, and wherever he rode it, they gave him the... Wherever yeah. the land was, that, uh, that land that he... Okay, okay. So Fort, Fort Salonga, S-A-L-O-N-G-A. Fort Salonga. Oh, now you got her excited. Yeah, that's the one. Now that she's the, like, the oh, British, well, fuck. I didn't the know British you were talking held, about Fort Salonga. Yeah, the British held, and then we were like, nah, bro. <laughs> Nah. Colonial forces landed on the beach near Crab Meadow, and then moving down the beach, they overtook the fort. All right. Mm, See? You taught me something. Fucking patriots. Colonists. There are people. (laughs) Patriots. All right. We got to go. We got to go. You're ultra MAGA. Oh, ultra MAGA. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, we appreciate that. Uh, All right. We got to go. We got to get out of here. It's 113. I'm going to have him call you. He's the one who owns the t-shirt shop. Okay. No, for real. I mean, it. you got my number. So, okay. all right. So Stacy, man, we really appreciate you being here. Yeah. That was a wild, wild Dude, one. Wasn't this, it? The story's well, amazing. No, it is. I don't thank us. Thank you for, uh, thank you for reaching out and sorry. It took so long for us to get back to you, but no, well, now that you're our friend, you're going to see, we are horrible about getting back me more so than Dan, but we're horrible about it. <laughs> But the story is amazing, man. And we appreciate the work that you did, uh, the work that you put in there. And that is, that's no joke. I mean, having to identify these people and. Uh, oh yeah. You can't even imagine it. You I couldn't put it to work. I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I know myself. I couldn't do it. I'm way too sentimental. So we're, listen, we're going to give you the final word here. Uh, whatever you want to say, you want to talk about your book, you want to talk about 9-11, you want to talk about those fuckers in New York, you want to talk about the conspiracy theorists, whatever. Once you start talking, we're not going to interrupt you until you stop. So floor is yours. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you having me on and I would appreciate everyone's support in uh, uh, purchasing my book. It's stacygoodmanbook.com. That's S-T-A-C-E-Y, Goodman, G-O-O-D-M-A-N, book.com. 
And uh, if you purchase it through my secure website, through PayPal, or you could just use a credit card and it will go through PayPal and I will personally send you a copy with my signature. Thank you. Right on. And I would also like to point out that when you buy her book, you are helping her get to New York so that she can get the benefits that she is owed, you know, that she deserves that she deserves, you know, if, if, if PayPal is going to shit on us or not PayPal, I'm sorry, a PayPal. I don't know if you're not whatever. PayPal's great. Yeah. PayPal's great. great. Sorry, PayPal. I didn't mean you. I meant uh GoFundMe. If GoFundMe is going to shit on this thing, then uh, we got to get her money some other way. And you know what? 20 bucks. I think you said the book right now is going for $20. $20. All right. So $20. Think about what you spend $20 on in a month. You can help a hero here. You can order that book and you can help her get to New York. You can help her get the, the, you know, help her get the benefits that she deserves, right? You can help her get the alternative treatment that they're not going to cover. She shouldn't have to be paying for this stuff on her own. She showed up for America when America needed her. Now it's time for America to show up for her. So stacygoodmanbook.com, buy the book, give it as a gift. I don't care what you do with it. Buy the, you know, hopefully you read it. Buy the book, give it to Goodwill, give it to, I don't care. Just give her $20. Buy the book. It is worth it. If you like what you heard here today, certainly. Check it out. Check it out, man. So Stacy, man, we appreciate it. And we will, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Hey, man. Crazy. That's a, that's crazy. a lot. I mean, I, I listened to a lot of the stuff that she's done, and I'm glad she was uh, felt comfortable enough to really no, you know, to really get into it with us like that. Because that's, humbled, that's humbled what, that she reached out to us and said, "Hey, look, I think I'd be a good fit." That buddy, that's why we do this show right here. Is. It is. I don't even. You know, we're working on sponsorships. We're working on whatever to try to get to pay this thing off. This is why we do it right yep, here. 100%. She is an American hero. And you will never, I'm telling you fucking conspiracy theorists right now, don't call me. Don't text me. Don't send me an email telling me that she's full of shit because I will put you on blast on this show. Fuck you. I don't care. Don't Listen, man, she's real deal. So, Dan, you got anything else, brother? No, we're off the bull now. Oh, f- Smithtown. Uh, Smith, hey, dude, listen. We did, all right, I know we fucking say this all the time, but we seriously need to go to Smithtown. That would be an amazing show, especially you get Stacy out there and we switch her fucking iced tea out with bourbon. Can you imagine the show that we would have then? God damn. All right, bro. All right. All right. As always, we thank you guys for your support. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, if you could drop us a like, drop us a five-star review, that really helps us out. You can find us on Facebook at Pod Bless America. And you can find us on Twitter at Jim and Dan Show. You can find us on Getter at Pod Bless America. And you can find me at Jim at PBAPodcast.com. And you can find me at Dan at PBAPodcast.com. So until next time, I'm Jim. I'm Dan. And Pod Bless America. 